Noah's Ark is one of the more familiar uh, and more beloved stories from God's Word. Probably it's one of the first stories we learned uh, from the Bible. And, and that is something I find interesting. I was thinking about that this week. We talked about Noah's Ark a little bit on Wednesday night. And I was thinking about it as part of my lesson today. So often Noah's Ark is portrayed as a children's story. It's a story we tell kids and it's kind of a bedtime story. But have you ever really thought about much about Noah's Ark and what was going on in the story? Right? To show you the extent in which we, we often see it translated into a children's story, I googled Noah's Ark this week and here's a couple of pictures I found of it. You've probably seen pictures like this before, especially if you've ever taught children's church or children's Sunday school or bought a children's Bible type book. These are cute little pictures of Sunday, uh, of Noah's Ark and it seems really happy. They're all excited and, and things. But if you notice, what none of the pictures of Noah's Ark show is what's going on with the rest of the world when this is going on. Right? Because as the animals are floating there and Noah is letting go, everybody else on earth is either dying or dead. Right? The, the, the pictures don't show the bodies of those who were judged by God and drowned floating beside the ark. You know, the reality is Noah's ark is not a cute and fuzzy children's story. It, it is a story of the righteous and fervent judgment of Almighty God upon sinful humanity. Despite the fact, again, we don't see many pictures showing the thousands of dead bodies floating beside it because we'd rather focus on the, the good part of the story. God saved Noah and God saved his family. God's grace and mercy to Noah and his family in the midst of judgment is such a beautiful and an encouraging picture. And it's one we want to hold on to. And it's one we, we should hold on to. Salvation from God during judgment is a wonderful and a hopeful theme. And one thing to remember is this theme is clearly repeated all throughout our study in the book of Revelation. Now, if you remember where we are in the book of Revelation, we've come past all of the introduction and the letters to the seven churches, the heavenly worship scenes, to where Jesus has taken the scroll that unfolds the, the end of redemptive history and He has begun to break the seals. And as He has broke the seals, judgment has been unleashed upon the earth. The, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been released completely to run headlong upon the earth and do whatever they, they will within the bounds of their, their, the scope of what they've been made to do. The, the seals have brought all kinds of death. One-fourth of the population has died through hunger, pestilence, war, and the beasts of the earth. We've seen great natural disasters hit the earth, cause the sun to go black, the stars to fall out of the sky, the sky to be rolled up, enormous mountain-moving, island-sinking earthquakes. And we've learned this is not the end. This is the beginning of sorrows. It's really bad. But it's going to get a lot worse before it's all over. And what we've seen and what we will see in the coming weeks is distressing, to say the least. It could certainly cause us to fear. And it can cause us to wonder, is there any good news 
in the book of Revelation? Or have we left all the good news behind and now it's just terror and fear and bad? Well, there is good news within the book of Revelation because as with the story of Noah, in the midst of God's judgment, there is also salvation from God. That's what we're going to see in Revelation 7. So open your Bible to Revelation 7. Hopefully it's on page 953 if you've got a pew Bible. Uh, when you find it, I ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. So look at the whole chapter. Revelation 7 and 1. After this, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, holding the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000, from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000, from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000, from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000, from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000, from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000, from the tribe of Levi, 12,000, from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, and from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne, And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, Power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders responded to me saying, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? Where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will no longer hunger, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Title of the message is the everlasting gospel. Father, we love you today. For your grace and your goodness. Lord, it, it's easy for us to take your salvation for granted. 
some of us, we've heard about the gospel so long. We can't remember not knowing that Jesus died for us. We can forget exactly what that meant. Exactly what you did when you saved us. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for losing the awe and the wonder, the death, the resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Forgive us for regarding wickedness in our hearts, justifying and minimizing and taking pleasure in that which sent Jesus to the cross. Forgive us for the times we've strayed and taking for granted the fact that you you sought us like sheep having gone astray. You didn't just turn us over and let us go. And, oh, you would have been just to do that so often. Forgive us, Lord, for in our self-righteousness looking at others who are worse than we are. Worse than we think we are and thinking, well, they'll never be saved. They could never come to Jesus. Father, we thank you today for this passage. Judgment and revelation, Lord, it's, it is scary. I don't care how much faith we have, Lord. It is terrifying to see what's coming upon the world. And Lord, I know it is a just judgment from a holy and just God. But it's still fearful. But this passage today is such good news. There's hope. There's hope even in the midst of the judgment we read in Revelation because of Jesus. Always be the power of salvation to all who will believe. The Jew first, but also to the Gentile. Thank you, Lord, that even, even when time is running out, the judgment is coming, there's grace, there's mercy, there's good news. Grip our hearts with this today. And help it, Father, let what we study today to break our hearts for the lostness of the world around us. Let it break our hearts. Just the the tragedy of people dying and going to hell when there is a Savior. Our hearts be broken at the tragedy of people worshiping and giving themselves to things that have no ultimate value. Break off from our hearts and our lives anything that hinders us from being your witnesses. Sharing the gospel with the world around us. Father and Gaiman, all the nations are here. 
All the peoples have come to us. We have an opportunity to to see this, this multitude in a smaller setting. Help us to do that, Lord. Father, where there would be anything in our hearts that would separate us from those who are different than us, convict us of it, Lord. It's Jesus and his gospel that matter, not the stuff that the news is telling us matters. It's not the stuff the politicians are telling us that matters. It's not the stuff our social media influencers are telling us that matters. Souls. Precious souls who will spend eternity in hell apart from Jesus. Deliver us. Deliver us from those things that make us build up artificial barriers. Deliver us from those things that make us more like the world than like our Savior. Purify us. Sanctify us. Empower us. And send us out to be bright lights that shine in the darkness of Gaiman, Goodwill, Texoma, Hooker, and to the ends of the earth. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The timing of the events in Revelation 7, 1 through 8, seem to take place sometime after the fifth seal is broken, but before the sixth seal is broken. Right? Because notice what's happening. In the first part of Revelation 7, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising sun, holding the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Now, where was the, the harming of the earth and the sea? Well, Revelation 6:12. Sixth seal is broken and the earth and the sea and the sky are harmed. So sometime in between what we see in the fifth seal and Jesus breaking the sixth seal, God pushes pause on what's going on and he begins to to do something on the earth in the midst of judgment. Revelation 6 ends with a question Who is able to stand the day of wrath? Revelation 7 begins with the answer. Revelation 6, the lost are crying out, who can stand? And in Revelation 7, the redeemed of God stand. We were given two pictures, two groups of the redeemed of God The first, verses 1 through 8, the 144,000 who are sealed and called the bondservants of our God. The second is a vast multitude from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages on the earth. The second group has come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They have been redeemed. And what we're seeing in all of Revelation 7 salvation by Jesus 
in the midst of judgment from Jesus. The truth this teaches us is the everlasting gospel saves people till the end of time. The everlasting gospel saves people to the end of time. And there are two ways this truth is shown. Number one, God seals his servants. Revelation 7 opens by reminding us God is in control. And and this isn't a major theme in this particular section, but it's an important one for us to think about all throughout. The book of Revelation is not the story of the epic battle of good versus evil. It gets close, but at the very end, God gets the W. That's not what happens. Revelation is the story of God determining it's time to bring history to a close and bring the world into account. And so he does. He just does it whenever he wants to do it. And he does it the way he wants it done. And if he wants to push pause on one of the seals being broken so he can seal some of his servants. Well, he's able to do this because God is the sovereign ruler over the universe, even in the midst of the struggle and the the judgment of Revelation. These people are going to be sealed in verse 3. They're called the bond servants of God. They're going to have a, a seal of God on their forehead. In Revelation 14 and 4, they're called the first fruits. The first fruits of those who are redeemed in the midst of the tribulation period. The way they're talked about throughout the book, because we read about them a couple of more times in the book of Revelation, the way they're talked about reminds me of the, the Levites from the book of Numbers. Now, if you remember your Old Testament Bible story, you know that in Exodus, the final plague God brought was the judgment upon the firstborn. But He saved Israel if they would take the blood and they would put it on the doorpost. And so all of the firstborn of Israel were spared, and all of the firstborn of Egypt, and any who didn't put the blood on the doorpost, they were slain that night as a judgment from God. Well, as time goes on, as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, God comes back and He he claims the Levites as His first fruits. He claims them as the ones He is, I guess, essentially owed for sparing them from that judgment. They were called specifically by God. They were called specifically to to serve God. And there were very specific tasks they were given as Levites. Everything changed for them when God claimed them as His own. This is all very similar to what we're going to see about the 144,000. Now, as we look at these 144,000... Disciples of Jesus, there are several interesting facts about them. Interesting fact number one is there is a very specific number of them. 144,000. There's lots of ideas about the significance of the number 144,000. Is it literal? There are exactly 144,000 saved or is it symbolic? A great number that would that would be every multitude, that would be all people? Well, there are good, well-reasoned, compelling arguments on both sides of the debate. And I don't really know whether it's a literal number or a symbolic number, but here's what I feel about it. To focus on what the number means misses the point. More importantly, 
than whether it's 144 literal people or symbolic, is the teaching. First is God isn't through with the Jews. He calls 144,000 Jews. We'll talk about that in a second. The current lack of faithfulness by the Jewish people to their Messiah does not mean God has turned them over forever. Second, many Jews are going to turn to Jesus during the tribulation period. Regardless of whether or not this is a literal number or a symbolic number, the truth it teaches is the same. Many Jewish people will turn to Jesus and be saved by Jesus during the tribulation period. The specific nature of the number, 144,000, has caused many religious groups to go off on a tangent regarding it. Jehovah's Witness, the Worldwide Church of God, Seventh-day Adventists, just to name a few, have said they are the 144,000 spoken of here. And they are all sadly mistaken. Well, how do I know that for sure? Because that leads us to the second interesting fact. They are all Jews. Verse 4. There are 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Then verses 5 through 8 go and tell us there are 12,000 from 12 Jewish tribes who are saved. Now, I'm a simple guy. And because I'm a simple guy, I typically believe that the simplest answer is the right answer when it comes to interpreting and understanding God's word. So when, when God makes a point to have someone write down that there are 144,000 Jews sealed and then begins to lay out that it's 12,000 from this Jewish tribe and 12,000 from this Jewish tribe and on and on and on, well, the only conclusion I can reach from that is these are Jewish people God is going to save during the tribulation period from various tribes of Israel. Now, this isn't to say Jews are the only people saved. We'll see that in a moment. But it does say that these 144,000 are Jews from various tribes of Israel. A third interesting fact about the 144,000 are the tribes mentioned and the tribes not mentioned. The tribes of Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned. While the tribes of Levi, who did not receive an inheritance in the promised land is mentioned. Also, the tribe of Joseph is mentioned, even though in Genesis 48, Jacob adopted Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they basically received his inheritance. So what's the significance? I don't know, but it's sure interesting to notice. Fourth interesting fact, they're called the servants, the bond servants of our God, and they are sealed by God. A seal is an official stamp of some sort. And in these days, when a king would send a message or wanted to guarantee something, he would seal it with wax and they would put wax like on an envelope. And then he had a signet, usually on a ring, and he would stick it in there. And that seal was the seal of the king. And that meant the letter bore the weight of the king. That letter was protected by the king. If you intercepted that letter and you broke the seal, you had better be stronger than the king whose seal you had broken. Otherwise, the full weight and the full wrath of the king was going to come down upon you. That these people are sealed by God for God means, one, they belong to God. But God has placed His seal upon their life and marked them as His very own. 
We will meet this 144,000 later. And when we do, we're told they have the Father's name on their foreheads. Also, they are protected by God. Now, this is really cool. We see that the idea here, right? So they're to stop doing what they're doing, not to harm anything until they're sealed. Now, look at chapter 9 and verse 4. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the people who what? Do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Go ahead and turn back to Revelation 7. This is from when the fifth trumpet sounds. And when the fifth trumpet sounds, creatures are going to come up from the bottomless pit. Torment people for five months. The torments are going to be so bad, people are going to want to die, but they can't. These creatures will torment the people who live on the earth, except those who have the seal of God on their heads. The sealed servants of God will be protected from judgment. Now, the idea of the sealed servants of God being protected from judgment is seen in the Bible and other places. Think about in the story of, again, Exodus and the the Exodus out of there. There were multiple times where judgment would come on one part of Egypt, but not on the other part. What was the difference? One part was where the Egyptians were. The other part was where Israel was. Often what happened to the rest of Egypt did not happen in the land of Goshen where God's people were. And it was a type. It was a demonstration. What God was doing was showing this isn't a coincidence. It's not just a bad day and bad things are happening. Notice the difference. I, the Almighty God, can make between not my people and my people. And it will be the same thing in the last days. God's people will be protected from the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. And it will be a demonstration. This is not just a bad day. This is not just global warming. This is not anything natural. This is Almighty God pouring out His judgment on not His people, but also protecting His people. Now, One thing to remember with this is this doesn't mean life during the tribulation will be a bed of roses for those who have been sealed. Yes, they will be spared the judgment of God, but life will still be difficult because remember what we saw in the fifth seal in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Under the altar are persecuted and slaughtered saints who die for the word of God And the testimony of Jesus Christ. So these 144,000 are going to suffer persecution. Intense persecution. But suffering persecution for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Is not the same as suffering the judgment of God upon the earth. Their suffering will be for the lamb. And not as an experience of the wrath of the lamb. These sealed servants of God are protected from judgment. And from the wrath of God. Why? Because the everlasting gospel saves people even to the end of time. Secondly, God seals his servants. But secondly, God saves all who believe. Verse 9. And after these things I look and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation. and All the tribes, peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. This is a kind of a, a fuller picture of what we saw in the fifth seal and an explanation where these new slaughtered saints will come from. Right. So look at verse chapter 6, verse 11. 
But they're crying out, how long, O God, until you bring judgment on these who have killed us? And notice what the answer is. A white robe is given to them. And they're told to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, who were to be killed as they had been, was completed. Where are these new slaughtered saints going to come from? Verse 9. This great multitude, which no one could count, from all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples, and all the languages. Now this idea of... The gospel going forth and people from all over being saved like this is consistent with what Jesus said would happen in the end times. The gospel, the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations and then the end will come. Now the question is though, how does this happen? Where, who, how do these hundred and, how do these, this great multitude, how do they hear the gospel, believe the gospel and are saved by the gospel? We'll turn to Daniel chapter 12. Hold your finger here because we're coming right back. Daniel 12 verses 1 through 4 should be page 678 in your pew Bible. Daniel 12. Look at what it says. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine like a glow in the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, keep these words secret. Seal up the book until the end of time. Many will roam about and knowledge Will increase. So notice what God is revealing to Daniel. It's going to happen. At some point in the future, there is going to be a time of distress greater than anything the world has ever seen before. What we're looking at in Revelation certainly fits this description. We see in verse 3 that during this time, there is going to, or verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2, there'll be a resurrection. Some will awake to everlasting life, some to judgment. Verse 3. There's going to be some who have insight. They're going to know something, maybe something other people don't know. And as they live and walk on the earth, they are going to to shine. They're going to glow in the expanse of heaven. And then there's going to be some who, who lead others, many others, to righteousness. And they too will shine. But Daniel's to keep this secret and sealed up until the end. And in the end, in that time, there will be people who roam about. And as they roam about, knowledge will increase. So go ahead and turn back to Revelation 7. One of the more common interpretations of Daniel 12 and Revelation 7, 1 through 8, is that the 144,000 become what we might call itinerant evangelists. Revelation 14 Four tells us they roam the earth following Jesus. And as they roam the earth following Jesus, they become lights in the darkness. They lead many to righteousness. And as they share the gospel, knowledge of Christ increases. Basically, they go throughout the whole world preaching the gospel. And as they do, many believed and many are saved. 
Many turn to Jesus and they are saved by Jesus. In verse 9, this is a great multitude which no one could number. They come from every nation, all the tribes, all the peoples, and all the languages. Now, we know these are tribulation saints. This isn't just everybody together. These are specifically people who were saved during the tribulation. Because look at verse 13. One of the elders responded and asked John, Who are these people? And John says, I don't know, but I bet you do. And he says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the tribulation period, all of this is going on. All of these bad things. And there's these 144,000 called by God, saved by God, sealed by God. And they're going to go through the earth and they are going to preach the gospel. And as they go through the earth, preach the gospel, many are going to hear what they're saying and many are going to believe. So it is very much like in the days of Noah. There is judgment upon those who reject their message and there is salvation for those who embrace it. Some will come out of the great tribulation having washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Others will reject this message and they will rise on the last day to condemnation and to the judgment, the, the fuller judgment of God. So as the gospel goes into all the world, multitudes are saved. Multitudes are brought to Christ from all nations, all tribes, all peoples, and all languages. Now here we see that they are before the throne. Verse 10. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 9. They're standing before the throne. They worship Jesus for the salvation He brings. And has brought to them. And, and, and let me say this is significant. Right? Because we know how their end is, don't we? We saw it last week in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. They're saved in the great tribulation. They wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They live for Jesus and they die badly for Jesus. And in eternity... They're not criticizing Jesus. You let me down. You promised me health and wealth. You said if I just believed, everything would go well in my life. Instead, even in eternity, after dying badly for Jesus, they are praising Jesus. Their praise inspires the others who praise Jesus. Um, and verse 15 is, is really neat. They are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night. In his temple, he who spreads, who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over him. They will no longer hunger, nor thirst, nor will the sun beat on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs, living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. To me, all, all of this is meant to be a contrast to what they experienced at the end of their lives. Because from the moment they're going to get saved to the moment they die, things are going to go bad for them. They're not going to take the mark of the beast. So they won't be able to buy or sell. So they're going to be hungry. God is going to increase the heat from the sun until it scorches people. And they're going to feel the heat beat down on them from the sun. There will be times where they 
feel like maybe they're wandering and there's no water. And they're probably going to cry at times because of the misery of what's going on. And yet, the Lamb will shepherd them to the water of life. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And they will spend all of eternity realizing the truth of Romans 8 and 18. The suffering of this life cannot compare to the glory of the next. And they experience this glory in the next life because the everlasting gospel saves people until the end of time. Now there are three ways quickly for us to live right now considering what is true then. Number one, live securely in Jesus. The idea of God marking and sealing his servants is not unique to Revelation chapter 7. We find it all throughout God's word. Abraham was given circumcision as a mark to identify him as unique from all the world. They belonged to God. In Egypt, the doorposts were marked with blood to seal and to save the firstborn. And it was to mark they belonged to God. In Jericho, Rahab and her family were marked with a red sash hanging in the windows. To mark they belonged to God. In Ezekiel 9, a man with ink marks the foreheads of those who weep at the wickedness of their generation. Just to mark they belong to God. Also, in all of those instances, they were marked by God and they were protected by God. We find the same picture of sealing in Ephesians 1, 13, 2 Corinthians 1 and 22. You and I as disciples of Jesus are sealed every bit as much as these 144,000 are. And we are identified as the sons and the daughters of Almighty God. And this identifying mark of our being sealed is a part of what we're protected. We live on this earth protected from the wrath of God. This doesn't mean we don't suffer in this life. To be sure we do. But there's no condemnation for us in this life or in the life to come. It means that even if we stray and God has to correct us, God deals with us as his dearly loved children and not in judgment and in wrath. It is correction, not condemnation. We are sealed, we are saved, we are protected, and the wrath of God will never touch us so long as we are in Christ Jesus. We should live like that is true. We should live secure in Christ. Secondly, live sacrificially for Jesus. If the gospel is true, And if the gospel is the only message that saves, and if the gospel is the only message that saves to the end of time, then we must do everything we can to ensure others hear this gospel. Why? Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God always saves those who repent and believe. But how are they going to call on Jesus 
If they've never believed in Jesus. Well, they won't. Well, how will they believe on Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus? They won't. And how will they hear about Jesus if no one tells them about Jesus? They won't. There is a, an idea in our minds that we have built up because of America, the, the great Christian nation. And the myth is this. Everyone has heard. Right? Sure, maybe people in deepest, darkest Africa haven't, but in Gaiman, where there are 13 evangelical churches and at least that many ethnic evangelical churches, everybody has heard. That is simply not the case. We do not live in a world anymore where everyone has heard. And that world is not coming back. The idea that, that our neighbors, our co-workers have heard a clear and accurate presentation of the gospel, have been given that opportunity and have rejected it, is a myth. I don't think it was ever true. But if it was ever true before, it is not true in 2021. Our neighbors, our co-workers have not heard the gospel. They may have heard religion. They may have heard, you know, where pants that go down past here. They may have heard moralism. They may have heard vote a certain way. They may have heard don't do this or don't do that. But the odds that they have heard the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins. And if they would repent of their sins and believe in him, he would save them and seal them from the wrath to come. is highly unlikely. And if we will not tell them, they will not hear. And if they will not hear, they cannot believe. And if they cannot believe, they will not call. And if they do not call, they will not be saved. And they will die and they will go to hell living in a community with 13 evangelical churches. In a town where nearly everybody professes faith in Jesus. Very few people truly committed to Jesus. We must give our lives for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. It is vastly more important we give our lives for that than it is that we give our lives for politics. It is vastly more important we argue the legitimacy of Jesus and salvation by grace than we do about how someone votes or what country of origin they come from or how they ought to come into this nation. The number one issue we should promote is Jesus. I went and I've got to move on. Time is up. And this is I normally I try not to hobby horse and soapbox, but if I had a soapbox, I would stand on it. I found a website the other day, and it was a Twitter page, and it was very anti-Christian. So I knew that going in. But they showed video clips of preachers. Right? They're, they're really anti-conservative anything. But they focus these clips on preachers. And some of them are from like last Sunday. And, and you have preachers in, in churches where there are thousands of people attending. And these preachers are preaching. They're preaching Donald Trump and not Jesus Christ. 
They're, they're preaching. Last Sunday on E on Mother's Day, they're still preaching that, that God has spoken, Donald Trump won, and, and God's going to upend everything and put Donald Trump back in the office, back in the White House and, and take down and expose everything. Listen, I, I don't care. I don't care if you believe Trump won or Biden lost or none of that matters. Here's what matters. This is not the place for that. This is the place for Jesus. The rest of the world can do Trump. Or the rest of the world can do Biden. We do Jesus as disciples of Christ. And the reality is, those churches that are doing that have thousands and thousands of people in their services today. And churches preaching Jesus do not. Our world is in a mess. And it's because disciples of Jesus, in part because disciples of Jesus, are giving our lives for lesser things. Because in this day, it will not matter who won the election in 2020. On this day, it will matter who repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. On this day, it won't matter whether there was a border wall or whether there wasn't. It will matter whether people repented of their sins and believed on Jesus Christ. The world is discipling us and calling us to give our lives for lesser things that damn and doom people for all of eternity. And as disciples of Jesus, we must say no. God forbid that I should give my life for this lesser nonsense. And let people die damned for all of eternity. We must give our lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, live satisfied through Jesus. In this life, we are going to have difficulties, trials and tribulations and temptations. We wrestle with our own sinfulness. We struggle under the weight of our problems. We bear the burdens of loved ones. Who make terrible decisions. We, we suffer because those in power are unjust and filled with iniquity. We ache for those we love who reject Jesus. We experience suffering from negative circumstances. All of that is going to happen in this life. The good news is this life is not all there is. The old song says it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. These people, they died badly. When we get to it, we're going to see their lives end miserably. And in heaven, they're not whining. In heaven, They're not talking about the fact they didn't have a Lincoln Navigator or the new iPhone. In heaven, they're not even saying Jesus shortchanged them by letting them die badly. Instead, they are praising and they are glorifying Jesus because they know He was worth it. On this day, on this day, we're not going to wish we had given more toward lesser things. On this day... We're not going to feel sorry for ourselves for the difficulties we've endured. On this day, 
we're going to know whatever we went through for the sake of Christ was worth it. Whatever we did in His name was the right choice, no matter how the chips fell regarding it. On this day, we will rejoice in the fullness of our salvation. We will see Him as He is. Live today like that will be true then. Live now as though Jesus is your highest treasure and greatest pleasure. Live satisfied through Jesus. Jesus is going to fulfill Revelation 7-9. In many ways, of course, like with other things we've seen, He already is. People from nations and tribes and languages are already coming to know Jesus Christ through missionaries, through the internet, through other ways this is going out. My plea to you, my plea to us, is don't miss being a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. There is something He is doing. And it's, it's this. It's redeeming people from every nation and every language and every people and every tribe. And then there's things He's not doing. And if you turn on the mainstream media, whether conservative or liberal, I can almost guarantee you that's not what Jesus is doing. Join Jesus and do what He is doing. Let's lay aside the lesser things and live to accomplish His will and His mission. Be disciples of Jesus who urgently witness about Jesus. If you'd say you are a disciple of Jesus, how are you witnessing about Jesus? How does your life testify? How do your words declare Him? What are we doing in our daily lives Declaring the goodness, the greatness, the salvation of Jesus. If we're not active in that, we need to pray. Pray for God to change our hearts. Pray for God to break off lesser things. Pray for God to set our hearts afire with devotion to Jesus. And with passion for the gospel. If you're not already a disciple of Jesus, you've not repented of your sins, you've not believed in Him, made that decision yourself. Dear friend, you're not a disciple. You're not saved. You're not sealed. This is your great need today. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put off today what God is calling you to do right now. In this moment, at this time, cry out to Jesus. Turn to Him. He he saves All who believe, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your life has been like, how long you've waited, how often you've put Him off. If He's calling you today, you can respond today. Come to Jesus and be saved. Stand.